0: Everybody clapped. when Corey's parents placed membership, we all sit in silence. So we are glad Tim and Dana are here, right? There we go. <laughs> I, come through for y'all on that. I was like, damn. I figured Corey would probably use that to his advantage. So I wanted to cover that. So he's pretty honey. I also wanted to give it a, a little bit of, a, a, of an opportunity. We usually do a little welcome time, but I want to add a little bit to that. So if everybody would stand real quick. Um, just, this may just be for my household. Everybody stand up real quick. If you're a child or if you're a teenager, and you haven't hugged your mother yet, do that right now. <laughs> That, that digital Bible is great, that's awesome for some people, but if you need a Bible, there's some just right outside where Heath is standing, you can grab one, and we're going to have those out there every Sunday. And if you need to take it with you and just make it your Bible, take it, over will it, so just take it with you and uh, make it your Bible. But we're glad to have everybody this morning. And we have honored our moms this morning, but I want to continue that today, and I want to continue that for moms and grandmothers and great-grandmothers by presenting to you the top... In my opinion, top six or seven all-time screen grabs of texts between moms and their children. These are awesome. I hope you find these as humorous as I do. First one here. We're going to call this one Google Troubles. Mom texts her son and says, please stop changing the Google logo so much. I like the original one. Son says, Mom, I don't change the logo. Google changes it. (laughs) On my computer? <laughs> and then she says, you don't run the Google?
1: <laughs>
0: and the son says, if I did, I wouldn't be driving a 2004 Ford. That's great. This was good, too. I think this from a daughter to her mom. Mom, where are you? Leaving Walmart. Halfway home. Hi, sweetie. You brought me to Walmart.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: darn, on my way back. That's Up here at church, probably. all of us,
1: right?
0: does that I've only done it half the time on purpose. The other time, I was just sick of it. I love this one, funny mom text right here. Uh, mom, you're not funny. You never make jokes. I mean, you.
1: That's great,
0: that's a great one right there. This one is kind of just one of those tech savvy ones again, kind of like the Google one. This one's so good. Your great aunt just passed away. LOL. Why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Oh my goodness, I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love.
1: <laughs> oh, that was terrible.
0: Oh, this one. I love this one. Could you send me uh, Uncle Bill's address? I can't be found. Your gladness giver, Candy textiles Huh? I found my glasses. <laughs> That <laughs> was really good. This one's funny, good humor here. Uh, good morning, beautiful. XOXO, mentor, your imaginary boyfriend. Thanks, mom. Wow.
1: <laughs>
0: and then this is my favorite one. This is so good. Uh, this is uh, this is just moms to me in so many ways. Please don't text me for the next hour. I'm gonna be on the treadmill. I think this is a son. I wasn't planning on texting you. What did I say?
1: <laughs> what did I
0: just say? good. Thank you, moms, for all that you are, uh, for being humor for us for those, but also for the humor you bring. For your love, your heart, uh, everything that you are, your tenacity. Um, And most of all, I think in a church setting in Christianity, for those of us who follow Jesus, we need to be reminded that most of us are here today. Statistics say this, that 70% of people who continue faith in the next generation say it's because of their mother, because of the influence that their mom was in their life, the way that they shaped and poured faith into the next generation. And so I want to say thank you for that. And we don't want to forget that fact. And so I know that Paul, we enjoy moms today, we honor our moms today, I also want to call to mind that today is sometimes tough. In a group this size, I realize that there's people that may have said this, may have thought this and come anyway, or may even thought this and didn't come, and maybe are online with us today, that said, today's just too hard. I realize that today is not easy for some. And if that's you, I want you to know that you're not alone, and I want you to know that we're going to talk about a God today who cares. We know that there's pain in life. We declare that there's a God who understands, and a God who loves us, so we honor that today, too. The part of our story is sometimes painful, but we're thankful that you're here. So moms, this message is for you, but it's also for everybody else, because many of you aren't mothers, because you're men, right? And the message we're going to talk about today is for every one of us, for children, for kids, for teens, if for If we're single, if we're men, if we're women, this passage today is an amazing passage. Because I'm not going to do the preacher thing, I'm not going to alliterate, I'm not going to give you three steps to to doing this. What I'm going to do today is just let this text speak today. Because this text tells us about a God who does things different. A God who sets himself up and shows a different way to approach the hurting and the oppressed. And he gives us so much hope this message today. You know, there's a word that we talk about with God so much. It's a word that we use as holy. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's one of those words in our culture that has been hijacked. It's been taken away from us. It's one of those words that, that for us in the English language, we think of holiness and we think of Stubborn people or holier-than-thou people or people that hold themselves up as better or snooty or self-righteous but the word originally is this word Kadesh or Kadesh and it simply means set apart not as better or snooty but set apart is different to be holy is to be different to be beautiful God is holy because he is different. And that stark vision of a different God, a holy God, comes in the short story of Genesis 16. And I want you to turn there with me. If you grab one of those NIV Bibles, it's on page 10. Genesis chapter 16. It's this crazy story about a girl, a slave girl named Hagar. And I want to unpack this with you this morning. and Just let the scripture speak today. So kind of get yourself in space to receive the word of God, to hear it, to see it, to imagine it. Use your imaginations today because this story begins like this. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him with no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, what we're doing is jumping into the middle of the story that began back in Genesis chapter 12. So we need to do a quick catch up. In Genesis chapter 12, Abram has been called by God to leave his household and go to a land that God will show him. This land is going to become the promised land, but this land was unknown to Abram. Abram is married to Sarah. He has chosen to marry Sarah, this girl who is barren. She cannot have children. The call of God in the life of Abram and Sarai has been that they will go and become a great nation. So the fact that Sarai is barren is a big problem in the story because they are supposed to be the mother and father of many, many descendants. And so the text starts with now saying time has passed. This is no longer a young couple as if they ever were when we've known them. Abram at this time is around 80 years old, and Sarai is around 70, and they are back after a short stint of several years in Egypt. They are back in the land of promise, and they've brought with them a young slave girl named Hagar. Hagar is Egyptian. She's probably at this time around her mid-20s. She's young. So you have to set this scene in your mind. And before I get into verse 2 through 6, you just need to think about this. You have a traveling elderly couple, well beyond childbearing age, who have the burden of a promise that has not yet been fulfilled in their life. And they're traveling with a young slave girl. And Sarai has a plan. We pick it up in verse 2. So Sarah, she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, that's Hagar. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to Sarai, to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarai Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. That's Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said to her. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar. And so Hagar fled from her. Now you want drama? People think the Bible is boring. This is this is like daytime TV mixed with nighttime bachelor, bachelorette TV. This is where, There's probably people that watch Grey's Anatomy, which has nothing to do with hospitals or whatever. It has to do with drama. Read your Bible if you like drama. Holy cow! This is bordering on like a a Mari Povich episode or something like that. I mean, there is a lot going on here. But here's what I want you to see. Sarah and Abraham are apparently worried that the promise that God told them, you're going to be the father of many nations, is not going to happen. So Sarah decides to circumvent that promise, to speed it along a little bit. She gets a plan and an idea, and she goes, well, if God's not going to come through, I'll come through. Can we relate to that? Anybody ever tried to speed along, fast forward the plan of God in your life, try to figure it out? Amen? We've all been there. This is what Sarai's doing. She's like, well, if God's not going to come through, let's just make a family out of Hagar. So she does that. So she suggests to Abraham, this 80 year old man, hey, I'd like you to sleep with my man, sir. Abraham's like, okay. It's this weird story. Then Hagar conceives. And there's a lot of material that we could hone in on. There's a lot of things that we could say. But I want to focus on Hagar. I want to focus on her. Because the story that we get out of her life shows us so much about how God is different. Because Hagar didn't ask for any of this, did she? I think we can assume these things about Hagar. I doubt she asked to be a slave. I'm sure she was born into it and purchased by Abram and Sarai. I'm sure she didn't ask to be taken from her home in Egypt to live in this unknown land. I'm sure she didn't ask to be in servitude to an elderly couple. And certainly she didn't ask to have an old man come into her tent. Abram and Sarah treat Hagar a certain way. It seems that in verse 3 that maybe, just maybe, Hagar has some sort of a vaulted status in the home because Sarah says, Well, I will give her as your wife, right? Like Abram's bringing on another wife, but that's not the case. Do you see anything in this story that makes you really think she has elevated status? Now, Hagar's just a shortcut. She's just a means to an end. A workaround for them to get what they longed for and the promise that they thought she that they should receive. Hagar in this story is invisible. She's a nobody. And I don't want to speak for moms this morning, but I think as I've thought about your position sometimes being a mom as I, how I treated my mother when I was in the home, <clears throat> I think we probably say that our moms can relate to Hagar. Maybe not certainly because of the exact situation, but because of the feeling of it. Sometimes we relate to the invisibleness. There are days that our moms, I think in here, feel only like a means to an end. Writer Nicole Johnson penned this beautiful article in which, in which you, the titled I Am Invisible, Here's just a small section of it. He said, some days I'm just a pair of hands and nothing more. Can you fix this, Mom? Can you do this? Can you open this, Mom? Some days I'm not even a pair of hands. I'm not even a human being. I'm just a clock. What time is it? Some days I'm a satellite to guide and answer what number is the Disney Channel. Some days I'm a car to order, a taxi driver, an Uber. Right around 530, please pick me up, Mom. I was certain... these were the hands that once held books, and the eyes that studied history, and the mind that graduated college and had a job, but now they've all disappeared into peanut butter, (laughs) never to be seen again. There's mom, she's going, she's going, she's gone.
1: (laughs) That's kind of a dark picture of motherhood, but I think
0: moms can relate. And definitely Hagar. She's used. She's dismissed. She's just this 20-something slave who becomes pregnant. And in an ironic twist, Sarai, who comes up with a plan, now wants her out. I think Hagar started to think she had a status. And once Sarai realized that she thought she had status, verse 6 says that Sarai began to mistreat her. Or as other versions say, she treated her harshly. See, when the nobody becomes a somebody, something has to be done. Now, English hardly gets the severity of what that word means to treat somebody harshly. I read that in English, and I go, yeah, she may have made fun of her and said, you have no status, or maybe just shunned her in the house, but that is not the word. In Hebrew, the word is the same word used for what the Egyptian oppressors will do to the Israelites in Exodus 400 years later. It's the same word prophesied to Abraham in chapter 15, the previous chapter to this section, about what will happen to his descendants when they go into slavery. They will be treated harshly. So this isn't just some plain story. Sarai abuses her in some way. Physically, emotionally, we don't know. But there is severity And in response to that, Hagar runs. And again, you have to use your imagination. She's in a land she does not know, a land she has not asked for, alone, abused, vulnerable, and pregnant. From the way that you look at the maps on this thing and what we think about it, it looks like she's trying to head back to Egypt. She's trying to go home. But on the road between... Abuse and finding her way home, she meets God. We pick it up here in verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added this I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. So the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, El Roy. It's not in the NIV there, but that's the name she gives. She named God in that place, El Roy. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Flakai Roy. Is still there between Kadish and Bered. Kadish, if you were paying attention, is the word for grace. No one noticed Tamar. She was a workaround, to a veil, worry, to fast-forward the plan of God, a means to an end. Then, in the twist. Of irony, she became the problem. To her people, the Egyptians, forgotten. To herself, nobody. But our God is different. God is holy. And although she wasn't even looking for God, God saw her. And here's why. In scripture, and you need to know this, God doesn't see her nationality. He doesn't see her mistakes. He doesn't see her status. God sees Hagar because God is a God who sees the suffering. He sees those who suffer because he is different. And there's so many things I want to say about this passage. But again, what I want to focus on is just letting this passage speak Because there's so much meaning and hyperlinks and so many great things here. But what I want you to do now is just stand in awe, sit in awe of the God who sees the hurting and the suffering. Because in this passage there are names that mean so much. And I'm just going to walk you through just a few things here. And then we're going to have the lesson be ours. And you walk with it today. Hopefully knowing the God who is different. We need to be in wonder and awe of a God who's doing something in this young girl that should blow us away. And the first thing I want you to notice is Hagar. There's so many names in this little passage that, that have meaning. And Hagar's name literally means the immigrant, the foreign, the alien among us. See, she's not an insider. She's not Hebrew. She knows little of Yahweh God Yet, God sees her. God sees the outcast. God has his eyes on those who suffer. He's not the God of just Abraham alone. He brings Hagar into the story, and he says to her through the angel, you are pregnant, and you are going to give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Ishmael, which is a great name. It is the name that God Listens. God hears. Think about being in Hagar's shoes. Not only has God seen her, He has heard her. And now every time that this mom gets to call that little boy's name Ishmael, she gets to be reminded. God listens. And what's even crazier than that, and I know some of you already picked up on this, is that in this passage, the messenger says, you're going to have this child, you're going to name him Ishmael, and then what does God do? He doesn't say, oh yeah, by the way, that promise is just for Abraham and Sarai's kids. He extends the promise and says, by the way, I'm going to make a great nation out of your children too. God takes the promise of uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and goes, guess what, Egyptian slave girl, you get a piece of the pie. God is different. We can relate, right? Sometimes it feels like in church, maybe some of you have this story, that the promise was just for somebody else, and then you realize Maybe by coming closer to God, or you've had a moment with God, or God saw you, and you saw God, and you realize that you get in on the possession of his promises as well. Amen? Amen. Maybe God is good, isn't he? Amen. Mind-blowingly good. He hears. And then the word that wasn't in the NIV, but if you were in the in other versions, you saw it. There's this other word. It's el Roy. Hagar is no insignificant person in the Bible. She is the immigrant girl who is the only person, male or female, to give God a name in the whole Bible. God usually just names himself, right? I'm El Shaddai, the Lord of Hosts, or Yahweh, the covenant maker. I am who I am. Great name, right? But here in this passage, Haggad gives down to me. Those names that before God proclaims himself as are, uh, as are great and profound and vast. The name of El Shaddai is a powerful name, the Lord of hosts. Yahweh is a name that I can't get my head around. I am who I am. Just stay up late at night and think about that. But in this moment, she didn't need a God who was cosmological and giant and big. She needed a God who was intimate and loving and close, a God who can meet her where she was. And so she proclaims, you are El Roy, the God who sees. We all want to be seen. We all want to be known, we all want to be heard, we all want to be loved, and God is holy because God is different, because God hears, he sees, and he cares. Isn't that wonderful? I want put the tree up there on the slide, because when we start to know a God who hears and sees and cares, our dry, worn-out faith, our life that is sometimes a mess, and backwards are hurts, they can spring to life again. Because we have a God who sees and hears and cares. Stumbled on this video from CBS. You guys know I love these on-the-road videos with CBS. And I want to show it to you this morning. It's a little video about a girl who lost her father. And when I saw it, I just couldn't help but think that's evidence of a God
1: who sees people who suffer. Let's watch this together. According to her mother, Lacey,
0: six-year-old Lynn Nast of Fort Smith, Arkansas, has always been a daddy's girl.
1: She was very proud of her dad. She always wanted to introduce her dad to just about anybody.
0: Until a couple weeks ago when her father, Davey, died of colon cancer. He was just 41, and Ray Lynn was just devastated.
1: It was a cry that was pure heartbreak. Enter
0: Emily Beinemann, who happened to be jogging with her dog, Blue, the day of the visitation. She was the funeral home, when all of a sudden she heard a
1: tiny voice call out from the chapel steps. She's like, your puppy. I'm like, yeah, like of course, like as long as your parents don't mind. That's what he said to her. Yeah. Not knowing. Not knowing. Yeah. Relit explained that her dad was lying inside, gave Blue a huge hug, and then gave Emily a stunning invitation.
0: that random jogger to meet her father. Emily was hardly dressed for a funeral and she knew just walking in the door would cause a scene. But she also knew this was the last time that little girl would be able to introduce her daddy to anyone. So she followed Gut and followed Ray Lynn down the aisle.
1: Everyone was kind of looking around like where did she come from? And she came in right next to Ray. They'd known each other for so long. There was department on the road in Fort Smith, Arkansas.
0: God sees, God hears, and God cares. It's a message for moms, it's a message for dads, it's a message for everybody. At the end of this story in chapter 16, Hagar, if you guys remember, she's by a spring. There's a spring in the desert where she's in a place of water. And she gives that spring a name. She names it Beer, Lachai, Roy. Which means, man, this woman could name things. She names God, El Roy, the God who sees me. And she names the spring Beer, Lachai, Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees. God had to stop seeing me. In fact, that's what he always says. 2,000 years later, we read about a woman who's an outcast. A woman who's probably been rejected not only by her people, but by the people of God, by the Jews. She's a Samaritan woman. It's in John 4. She's invisible. She's probably despised. She's she's probably been pushed out of society, but she meets meets a man at a well, and his name is Jesus. To her. He cares for her. And she becomes the first evangelist in the Samaritan world. She goes on proclaiming, come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. And that's because God sees, God hears, and God cares.
1: And I want us to be reminded this
0: morning, just out of this wonderful text, that God wants you to share in that goodness and grace. Maybe for the hundredth time. Maybe for the thousandth time. We need to be reminded of that. Maybe for the millionth time. Wherever you're at this morning, this church family is here for you because we believe in a God who is actively seeking us because he listens, he watches, and moves,
1: and he cares. Let's stand together and sing.